us. I want you to take your Bibles if you got them tonight. <clears throat> Turn with me to Psalm chapter 68. Psalm chapter 68. I want to talk to you tonight about something that's on my heart and been there, and I'm going to be talking about this for a while. Uh, we need to make a change in some things. I want to talk tonight about family. And uh, we're going to look in scriptures about family tonight. Not necessarily the nuclear family, but the church family. The family of God. I'm going to talk to you about the family of God tonight. And uh, we're going to look just one, just half of a verse. It's just a very short verse, but this verse opens the, opens the heart of God to you. And it shows you what's on his heart. I want you to read with me Psalm 68, verse 6. Just half of verse 6. Psalm 68, verse 6 says this. God sets the solitary in families. Tell me what he does. Now, the word solitary there, some Bibles are translated like this. God sets the lonely in a family. God sets the needy in a family, it says. God sets one person in a family. Tell me what the Father's doing. He's putting people in families. All right, now, what was his original plan? You know, the earth, the, the, his original plan unraveled because of rebellion. And men got away from God and they fell out with each other. So what's, what's his plan? It's two, his plan has always been two things. It's simply two things. To bring people back into relationship with himself. He gave his son so we could come back to the father. But, but as a father, to, ha- to hear his voice and to know his heart and to walk with him as a father. I love 2 Corinthians 6 where it says, I will be a father to you and you'll be sons and daughters to me. And we're told when we pray, say, our father. Uh, I love the great verses. As a father has a tender heart toward his children, so the Lord has a tender heart toward his. All through the Bible, we see the words father. His heart is to bring people back to himself and be a father to them, care for them. But that's just half of it. What's the other half of what he's doing? Is to bring people back in relationship to each other, the way it used to be. And of course, Satan's great work in the earth is to steal, kill, and destroy. And in John chapter 10, it says this, the wolf catches the flock and divides them. What's going on in our nation right now? People are being divided from each other. And there's a satanic division in the land. God's heart's always to bring people back to himself and to put people in a family. It was the church originally was supposed to have been a family. That's, that's what it was supposed to be. It was supposed to have been the church family. But somehow the American church has morphed so far away from what God meant it to be. And I want to take a little bit. We're going to talk about this for a while. I want to take a little bit and let's look in Scripture at what he says church is supposed to be. Church should be the greatest thing on earth. We're in trouble in the church in America. We're in big trouble. I saw this morning church stats. Last year, 2021, listen to this. 20,000 pastors walked off from the churches and quit preaching last year. George Barna in his annual pastor survey said this, 200,000 pastors, which is half the pastors in America, 50% said, if I could, I'd quit tomorrow. But I can't make a living. There's something wrong. Something is bad wrong. I wouldn't walk off from my family. You wouldn't walk off from your family. Something is bad wrong in the American church that we've missed it somewhere. And I think a lot of it has to do with what it was supposed to have been to start with. I want you to look at me in scripture a little bit. When you think of church in America, what comes to your mind? Think of a building. Most people think of a building. They think of structure. They think of music. They think of a preacher, the preacher, or the, its programs. Let's see what the Bible says. I want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're just going to look at a few of what the Bible has to say about family or church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is the great passage. Now, the, the church in the Bible, you remember what it's called? It's called the body of Christ. Amen. It's called the body of Christ. And he talks about the body. Jesus is the head. The church is the body. First um, Corinthians chapter 12 is the great picture where he talks about what he, what he is his design. And I want you to look at what he says about church or the family. First Corinthians chapter 12. Let's look at a couple of verses here. Verse 18 says this. First Corinthians 12, 18. But now God has placed or set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. Remember what Psalm 68, 6 said? The Lord places the solitary in a family. What's that verse tell me right there? Now that's not talking about the worldwide body of Christ. That's talking about a local church, a local body. What does the Bible say? God has a place for every person in his family. And where does he put them? He sets them or places them 
in a body as he pleased. He's got somewhere he wants people to be a part of. And there's listen to me. Everybody today talks about we love Jesus. We care about Jesus. We worship Jesus. You can't have Jesus apart from his family. We, 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 we're, we celebrate Jesus. What about his family? And we've missed it here. We put so much emphasis on loving Jesus, but you've forgotten. If you follow Jesus, you get a family. You know, I've got three children and my children all love me. I love them. But if my children were to say to me, look, we love you, daddy. We love coming to seeing you, but we don't want to be around our brothers and sisters. Something would be wrong because they're relate because their mind, they're in relationship with each other. And we've missed this thing on the, the, you know, we want our relationship with God and whatnot. But if you're a follower of Jesus, he's got you with a group of people he wants you to be a part of. The Lord places the members in the body as he pleased. Here's the reason. Look with me in verse 24. But our presentable parts have no need. God composed the body or put the church together, having given greater honor to the part which lacks, that there should be no what? No division in the body. What's his desire? No division within his family. But that the members should do what? Care for one another. He was to put people in a family where they care for one another. And then he stretches that a little bit further in verse 26. He says this, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with them. If one member is uh, honored, all the members rejoice with it. What do you see there? It's not about me and Jesus. It's about me and you. That he places me with a group of people. And we take care of each other. And if I'm suffering, you're going to come take care of me. Uh, it doesn't matter whether it's physical or, I, or I, you know, I go through a divorce or I get in trouble or I'm hurting somehow. You're going to take care of me. And if things go well with me, I got somebody to get excited with me. That's called family. That's what family does for each other. Uh, let's read one more verse there. And then he said this in uh, verse 27. You are the body of Christ and members individually of one another. So when I think of following Jesus, I need to think about this. Jesus is the Lord of my life. I love him. I follow him. But he also wants to connect me to a specific group of people. And I care for them and they care for me. It's family. And that's exactly what it meant it to be. Matter of fact, I want you to look in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Uh, you know, we, we go to church. We call each other different things. But if you read all through the scriptures, you'll see the heart of God for church or for family. And this is one of those great verses that reveals what he means for family to be. <clears throat> First Timothy chapter five, verse one. He said this, don't talk ugly, don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a what? As a father. Younger men are to be treated like your brothers. Older women are to be treated like your mothers and younger women in your group or church are to be treated like your sisters with all purity. What do you hear there? I don't hear of civic organization. I don't hear business. I hear family. We treat each other as a father. You treat your father. You respect older people like they're your father. We treat each other as brothers and sisters. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus forbids the use of title. That's why I don't like to be called pastor or reverend or heavens knows don't call me a clergy. Sounds like something you need to go to a doctor for. But he, he forbids the use of titles. He said, don't call each other father. Don't call it. He said, you are all brothers. Brothers and, brothers and sisters, the only thing the Bible allows me and you to call each other. Well, what do you hear there? Your family. And this is a picture. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Let's look at one more. In Ephesians chapter 3 is, is the great, uh, the whole book's about what he's doing in the earth. And in Ephesians 3, uh, we could go all through scriptures, but I just want to point a few out to you. Ephesians 3 verse 14 says this. For this reason, I bow my, knee, bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus, through whom the whole what? family in heaven and earth is named. Now, let me tell you what, what we, our model of church is this. We go to church and we get, get in these seats and we got musicians up there and then we got that guy that teaches us and uh, you know, we might have a dinner or whatever like that. That's an unbiblical picture. Uh, matter of fact, the picture of what he wanted is in Ephesians 4 where he said this, Jesus rose from the dead. He gave gifts to certain men, to certain people to equip the saints, to prepare the saints. But watch what they're supposed to do. Look at me in Ephesians 4, verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we're going to grow up in all things unto him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body being knit together by what the preacher supplies. No, by what? By what every joint or every person supplies. See, in a family, everybody's got to work together. 
And he said, the way the body grows is by everybody supplying something according to the effective working by which every person does its share causes growth of the body and it builds itself up in love. I see in the American church, we emphasize the musicians, the preachers, maybe the leaders of the deacons. He said, I want every person in there doing their part and, and together, everybody pulling together like that, doing their part. So this is the picture. Now, <clears throat> just quickly, I want to say this. Somewhere along the way, it started out like this when he planted the church, but through the years, things changed. And the American church has morphed into a concert hall. You know, I was talking with my music guys today about this. We've gotten away from where we all sing to, you know, we got, we got stages with disco lights and really good music now and people jump in it, but it's more of a concert hall. It's a speaking hall and it's a social services. You know, if I have a need, call the church, get somebody to counsel me. That's not a family. Can I, can I just put something out here? You think about this. If you had a family, say a biological family and you like a mom and a dad, say you had three kids. And the only time them kids ever carrying around you when it was supper time, they came out to eat and then soon they didn't talk to you. As soon as supper's over, they disappeared. They either went back to the room or left the house and they only call you when they needed money. You wouldn't have a family. That's a cafeteria and a social service. That's what that is. That's not how families treat each other. And we've, we've sort of morphed in the American church away from what family was supposed to be. And they got this institutional thing. Let me tell you something. God hadn't rewritten his word. His heart is still for family. People's hearts are for family. This is still his original plan was that what we call church would be family. Now I want to ask you a simple question from scripture. We're going to look at this. What makes families? You know, some families are great families and some families are called dysfunctional and, the, and it's horrible and people suffer through families. What makes families great? I'm talking about your personal biological family or nuclear family. What makes a family great? Is it the house they live in? Is that what makes family great? You can live in a mansion and have a terrible family. Is it how much money they got? Is it the cars they drive? What makes family great? Here it is, the way they treat each other. What makes family great is the way they treat each other when you go in there. I don't care whether you live in a mansion or a mobile mansion or, or I don't care what you got, how much money you got, how much education you got, it's how you treat each other. That's what makes families family. Well, I don't care if you've got a great big church or a little tiny church or a great preacher or, or, a, or a needy preacher. Or a, I don't care if you've got disco lights and great music or you've got some sister playing organ like Ghost and Mr. Chicken. It don't matter. That's not what makes family. Family is made by the way people treat each other. That's why you treat each other. That's what makes it great. All right. Um, let me ask you a question. The way the church in America treats each other today Where'd we learn that from? See if you've ever heard this out of Romans chapter 12. Be not conformed to this world. We let our culture teach us how to treat each other in the church. And the way we treat each other in our culture, which is not very good right now, we brought that into the church and we relate to each other in, in the church the way the culture treats each other. He said, don't do that. Don't be conformed. Don't be like that. Let me tell you what we should learn. The Bible says there are two places we should learn how to treat each other as a family of God. Number one, we should learn from the Bible. Amen. You know where else he said we should learn to treat each other from? Here's the last prayer Jesus ever prayed. He said, I pray for those that are mine, not the world, but those that are mine, that they would be one as you and me are one. We should look at the way Jesus treats the Father and the way the Father treats Jesus and say, that's how we're going to treat each other. That they would be one as we are one. And uh, I'm going to tell you why in a little bit this is so good and why it would be such people's heart. But in the scripture, you have a biblical pattern for family. This is the way we're supposed to treat each other. And I'm going to be honest with you. Church, uh, church is like sweet tea. When it's good, it's wonderful. When it's bad, it's nasty. I mean, when church is good, there's nothing like it on this earth. When it's bad, get out of there. But the Bible is where we find the pattern for how to treat one another. Now, I want to take a little bit, and I want us to look through Scripture. Have you ever heard of the one another's in the Bible? There's about 30 commands in the Bible, and it says one another, one another. There's about 30 places where it says, this is how I want you to treat one another. Now, the Bible is a book that tells me how to relate to my father. But the Bible is a book that tells me how to relate to you and how me and you relate to each other. So I want to take a little bit of time, and I want you to open your Bible. Let's look at this. 
of how we're to treat one another. <clears throat> and uh, turn with me to John, be turning to John chapter 15. Have you ever heard this verse before out of Matthew chapter 5? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nobody lights a lamp, puts it under a bucket, but sets it on a lampstand that it may give light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they might watch you and know there's a God and want something to do with him. Glorify God. All right, so now we, th- we hear that. You know what we think about? We think about my life, that I'm the light of the world. I, I want to live such a life so that people see me and say, that if that's what God does, I want it. But let me tell you something. That was written to the church. The church is to be the model to the world about how to treat each other. The church is to be the light to the world so that, you know, people in our neighborhoods and family and pagans, they look at the way the church treats each other and says, that's what I want right there. I want to be in a place where people treat each other like that. And that's why the scripture has so much to say about this. I want you to look at me in John chapter 15. Remember, this is the last teaching Jesus gave. And Jesus said this in verse 12, John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandments. Is it plural? Does it have an S on the end of it? One commandment. This is my commandment. That you what? That you love one another the way I've loved you. This is the foundational call for everybody in the family of God. Jesus said, you said, do you love me? You care about me? He said, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to love each other the way that I've loved you. Then I want to say again, you can't separate loving Jesus from loving a set group of people. You can't do that. Do you remember when the last, last uh, page of the Gospels, which is John 21, Simon had made a great mistake and Jesus restored him. And he looked at Simon, he asked this question. He said in John 21, 16, he said, do you love me? Then let me ask you something. Isn't that the question? Isn't that the ultimate question? It's not, it's not, do you go to church? It's not, do you behave? It's not, do you give money? In the real question, do you love Jesus? Because we love him because he first loved us. And he, John 21, 16, he said to Simon, he said, do you love me? And Simon said, yes, Lord. And what did Jesus say to him? Good, keep loving me. What did Jesus say? Then take care of my people. Tend my sheep. I want you to hear the heart of Jesus, right? I want you to hear the heart of God. We say, oh, Lord Jesus, I love you. And he says, what about the people around you? If you love me, take care of them. You hear that? That John 21, 16 is the foundational. We got to get back. You know, we got this Jesus thing. Let me tell you something. It's Jesus and y'all. We got to get back to the two sides of this thing. And uh, he asked Simon, he said, do you love me? And listen, he didn't just ask Simon, do you love me? That's the Bible. He asked every person that follows him, do you really love me? And we say, yes, Lord, I want to love you. And help me love you more. Give me grace to love you more. What's his answer to us? then take care of the people I put around you. Then tend my, tend my sheep means take care of my sheep and feed my sheep. So the foundation is I've got to choose to love one another. Now, dear ones, the Spirit of God will help me to love you greatly. But let me tell you something about love. Sometimes it's a feeling. Some of you that you're married, sometimes you have good feelings for each other. All right, how many of you know this? Love is not an emotion. It's a decision. And sometimes love has to act the way it knows to act, even when it don't feel that way. Love is a choice. Love is a decision. Is love committed? Love's committed. And we have to choose to love one another. All right, let me go through some more of the one another's. And it, <laughs> this is the humorous one. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. I, I can't believe he had to put this in the Bible, but I think he knows us. In Ephesians chapter four, this again is where he's telling, the foundation all begins. I got to make a decision to love the people God's put me with. Now see, this is foreign to the American church because we go in the American church, we stand up and greet one another. Hey, good to have, good to have, good to see you, friend, good to see you. That's about as deep as we go because we're here to hear the music. I love the music and we're here to hear the preaching and then we're going to go get some chicken. That's not a family. And then he says this in the way you treat one another. Ephesians 4, 32 be ye kind to one another, tender hearted. Why would God have to tell his own people to be kind to one another? Take a wild guess. What's happening in our culture right now? Kindness is a disappearing commodity. So we, we, we put such emphasis on knowing the truth and fighting for the truth. What did the Bible say? You be careful how you treat each other. Be kind to each other. Let me tell you why. What's the human heart long for? 
you'd be surprised how powerful kindness is. So we don't think much of it. Kindness is powerful. My friend Ken Helzer was telling me, he and uh, John Hobbs, they were going somewhere on Sunday morning and they stopped uh, and they needed to stop. They'd been to some church or something. And they were going to stop and there was a biker bar. I, I think I know where it's at, a little janky biker bar. And they stopped in there to get something to drink. And then they said, nobody was in there except this rogue biker. And there was a girl in there and he was throwing darts or something. And they got something to drink. And, and John just sort of sat down and started talking to her about, about who she was and being nice to her and, and started talking to her about Jesus. And this biker guy saw this old man talking to his hen there. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry, squall. And so he went over there and uh, he said to her, he said, come on, we got to go. She said, wait a minute, I want to hear this guy. He said, get him, get out of here. She said, you shut the hell up. She said, this man's been nicer to me in five minutes than you've been to me in five years. I thought, what a picture. I don't care if you treat me like crap, I don't want to hear what you got to say. And the church has missed it many times by being so hateful to people and so standing in truth, but you forgot. It's not truth that opens doors to people's hearts. It's kindness that opens doors to people's hearts. That you kind first. When Jesus talked to the woman at the well, before he talked to her about truth and about her problems, he showed her that he cared about her. So he said to the family, God, be kind to one another. How many of you like to go somewhere where you're just treated like crap? Don't you love to, wouldn't you pay to be there? Tell you you treat people kindly, they'll follow you off the cliff. There's power in that. That's why he said, I want you to be kind to one another. All right, has anybody here <clears throat> ever had a moment when you didn't feel like being kind? I got one in, on that back corner. There's two back there. So there's a third. Okay, three's enough. You know what maturity is? You know what growing up is? When you can do what the Bible says to do no matter how you feel. Now, Spirit of God, most of the time we will be, but there's times where we got to learn. We got to learn to discipline ourselves. We don't act like people act in this culture. We act like Jesus toward people. But we're kind toward one another. And the, the tremendous power of kindness, let's, it's in the same verse. Number three is in the same verse. I wonder why I put this in here, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Wonder why he'd have to tell us to forgive one another. Guess why? Because we screw up. There's a lot of people that are nervous about coming to church, afraid they'll make a mistake. Come on and make one. We all make mistakes. I've been doing this 40 years. I still screw up. 45 years now. Saved, 40 years preaching. What is it with, with churches that if you make a mistake, they'll stay. The mafia, at least the mafia will kill you and throw you in a river. Christians will keep you alive and beat you to death. There's what is wrong with just saying, you don't owe me nothing. God bless you. Let me tell you something. You get people in a house living together as a nuclear family, people are going to screw up. People say, look at all these goofed up people in the church. What do you expect? There's not a place for perfect people. And that's why the Bible said in 1 Corinthians 12, we've got to show honor to weaker members. Not, don't beat the hell out of them. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say hell in church. It doesn't say you can't cuss in here. It does say you have to be kind to one another. But, but the, it says you have to show honor, which is give people some mercy. Show people some space. Listen, we're a very unforgiving nation right now. It's called cancel culture. You make a mistake, we'll cut you off. Boil your children in oil, you'll never get a job again. We're an unmerciful group of people. Let me remind you of something. Whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. Blessed are the merciful, they'll experience mercy. Because if you want mercy, you need to sow mercy. If you want to sleep at night, you need to be a merciful person. And you need to tell people, no, you don't mean nothing. God bless you. Let's go eat. Now, let me point something out here. So I forgive them, but I don't want to be around them. You had not forgive them. Come on, give me one amen. I, you know I could, if I couldn't back it up, I wouldn't say it. Listen to what the Bible said. This second Corinthians 2, whom you forgive, I forgive. He said, forgive that man and reaffirm your love for him. You go to him and you tell him, I love you. We can't let this culture tell us how to treat each other. That's why the church today looks more like the world than it does the New Testament, like the body of Christ. But to forgive one another. And so listen, we, we knew mistakes were going to be made. People tell me they're scared to die. That's why preachers are quitting the ministry. They make mistakes and they get hung out to dry. You just come down here and watch me. You don't have to worry about making mistakes anymore. You'll get over it real quick here. But the deal is people, people need to have some room. You know what I mean? Room. I'm not talking about encouraging them to live like the devil. I'm talking about people struggle and they need help. And you got to be merciful with people and show them forgiveness. Number four says this, and it's right in league with this. It says, do not judge one another. 
Why don't you turn with me to, to Romans chapter 14. Uh, turn back from Ephesians a little bit. Now, boy, Romans chapter 14, it sort of knocks the socks out of my fundamentalist brethren. Romans chapter 14 talks about people being different and disagreeing on things. How are we going to treat people that disagree with us? Listen, you go in the average American church, everybody's alike. You know, white people go over here, black people go over there. Uh, rich people go to this church, poor people go to this church. The, you know, the, the uppity, like those that like NASCAR racing and bluegrass, they go to this church. And then that low class that likes opera and stuff like that, ballet, they go to this church. But we'd, where'd this come from? It's unscriptural. The people are broken up into categories and judging one another. The Bible in Romans 14 specifically says, I don't care if y'all don't agree on anything except one another. Except one another. And then he says this. Let's look in Romans chapter 14, verse, we'll put it in verse 1. Romans 14, 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to argue over doubtful things. And here's an example. One believes he may eat all things. He who is weak eats only vegetables. Now back then, that was a big thing back there. Of course, it's a big thing at my house. My wife eats only vegetables. And I, I love animals, especially with gravy and biscuits. <laughs> but the Bible says that things people divide over in your culture, like, you know, this was vegetarianism versus whatever. Today it would be, it would be what? Maskers and non-maskers. Vaxxers and non-vaxxers. You know, over the, listen, dear ones, unless it is in the Ten Commandments, it's gray. And he said, quit dividing with each other and quit judging each other over it. Uh, verse 3 let him who eat, let not him who eats despise him who doesn't. And let not him who doesn't eat judge him who eats. God's received him. He says, and God likes him, you like him. God loves him, you love him. Let's jump a little bit ahead to uh, verse 10 there. And Romans chapter 14, verse 10 says this. Why do you judge your brother or show contempt for your brother? Let me tell you one of the most dangerous things you can ever do. You know, a lot of people talk about drinking beer or, or whatever, looking at, you know, R-rated movies. One of the most dangerous things you can ever do is show contempt for your brother. Much more dangerous to show contempt for your brother than to smoke cigarettes. And, you know, you know contempt means uh, to scorn your brother. Look down your nose at him. Why do you show contempt for your brother? Uh, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, as it's written. Uh, I'm going to give an account, verse 12. Each of us shall give an account for himself to God. You don't, listen, you don't have to judge me. Somebody bigger than you is going to do it. I'm not going to judge you. Somebody bigger than me is going to do it. But here's the key. Watch verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve, make up our minds, do this. Don't put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in your brother's way. You know what that says? Quit judging each other and try to help each other. My job's not to judge you. If, even if you've got things I don't agree with, or you, maybe you're struggling in some way. Maybe you hadn't, hadn't had the chances I've had. Well, listen, I'm, my job is to help you stand, not get on you because you're not doing well. Let's, let's, you know what resolve means? Make up your mind. That I'm not going to judge you anymore. My job's to help you stand. I've known people that were really boogered up. Then listen, to me, listen to me. You always got to know where people came from. A lot of times there's something there you don't know about. And truth is, if they'd been raised like you'd been raised, they'd be as good as you are. But we always take, we listen, we take people right where they're at, just like Jesus did. And, and instead of finding fault with them, we say, my job's to help you make it. I don't want to put a stumbling block in front of you. I want to make sure you make it. And rather than throw them out, we need to pick them up, whatnot. All right, number five is right there with it. It's to honor one another. I think you turn back one page, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 says this, <clears throat> verse uh, 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another. I wonder why he keeps having to tell us that. With brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Now, you know what honor is, don't you? Let me tell you, we make a mistake. And James talks about this. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about this. And he says this, and uh, we'll look at this later in James 2. He said, now you got a church, you got a body. And how do we do in this culture? See, we're impressed with the rich and the famous and the uppity and the, the well-known and all that. And we categorize people, don't we? Uh, all of us by nature do it. We don't mean to sometimes, but we do it. These people are more important than these people. And he said this, in your church... A poor man comes into your church and he's dressed in cheap clothes and rags and you say to him, you, you stay in the back. But a rich man comes into your church with gold rings and you say, oh, we want you sitting down front. He said, if you show partiality to people like this world does, have you not become a judge with evil motives? And, and he's talking about the way we, we uh, 
Like we'd, we'd be real impressed with this guy and honor him. What we do in church, for instance, you know, like, like the preacher, the head preacher, well, he's treated like he's real important. You treat him good and you treat him better than you would the custodian. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, it should be exactly the opposite. Those considered less honorable should be treated with greater honor. You ought to treat the janitor better than you do me. See, see how this culture's got us thinking backwards? He said that there'd be no division in the body. And he said, but what he say? Well, honor everybody. No, but here's the deal. Treat everybody like they're valuable. Treat everybody like the VIP. Treat people just like they're special. And uh, let me tell you what captures the human heart. It's not because you're smart. People had about all the smart things stand in this nation. You know what captures the human heart? When you value it. When you let people know you're important to me. You know, we should treat every person as though they're the most important person on earth. I mean, you've heard this before, but here it is. If that had been the only person that needed it, Jesus would have shed his blood just for that person. Amen. It doesn't matter who they are. And, and in the church, we got this. We know the, these are the inside. We don't have inside shakers and movers in this church. We shake everybody here. The members of one another. And we got to lose this worldly model of these people are important. And they, well, they, they're, you know, I've been here for 82 years. Well, yeah, I know it. I don't give you no more standing than the one who just came tonight. Thank you. I needed amen on that. I knew I wouldn't get one from certain sections, but we'll do it anyway. <laughs> but to, listen, honor one another is to value people and esteem them. People want to be treated good. God, God put this in the human heart. And if there's any place you ought to go to and be treated well, guess where it ought to be? And maybe you went in certain businesses and they just treated you so good and you knew it, it, meant it boiled down to one thing. Get that wallet. We treat people in church because of who they are. Number five is to honor one another. This is the way family treats each other. Number six, now this is my favorite one. Encourage one another. What's the greatest need of people's hearts? If people know enough today, they need to be encouraged. I don't want to show you one of the most abused verses in the Bible. They beat preachers, beat people up with it and they miss the whole point. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews 10, this is the most abused verses. I've just watched preachers beat the tar out of people with this verse because they miss a Sunday and go to the races or something or miss a Sunday and go on vacation. Or, you know, they could, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. They just beat people up because they don't come to church. Get off of it. Read the whole thing. All right, how many of you know we should come to church? Everybody knows you should go to church. Well, let me ask you this. Do you know why? It's well, because God wants me to. Got to be a bigger reason than that. Hebrews chapter 10 is one of the great passages in the Bible. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Hebrews 10, and this is where it talks about us coming together. Uh, let me, I, I wrote a little article a while back and I said, there's no such thing as a virtual church. Now, COVID messed us up. We had, to, we had to go home with COVID and watch on TV. And some people can't come to church because of nursing home situations or physical situations. The dear ones, church must come together. It's got to come together. You know, if my family, one of them moved to Arizona, you know, <laughs> I never forget my, my daughter's 14 or 15. She said, I'm going to move to West Virginia and finish my junior year up there. And I said, yeah, go back to your room. <laughs> That's not a family shotgunned out like a family got to come together. Well, here's why they come together. Verse 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Just stop right there. I've heard preachers quote that many times and just beat people up because they miss a church service. Well, why do we come together? Let's read it. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but encouraging one another as you see the day approaching. Why should you come to church? What does it say? So we can encourage each other. What is it? Let's look at verse 24. Consider one another. Consider one another. What does it mean to consider one another? Think about it. Think. Consider one another to stir up love and good works and encourage one another. All right, I walk in church, what am I thinking about? As soon as I come in church, what am I thinking about? They better not be in my chair. Let's sit in the back, old music's too loud. I don't want to sit in the front, he'll slobber on us. What, what am I thinking about when I come in church? I hope he don't go long today. What are you thinking about? When you walk into a church, what should you be thinking about? What do you consider? Consider me saying, what are you thinking about? What can I say to help somebody in here today? Who can I encourage in here today? So, well, let, let the preacher do that. Nope, nope, nope. Every member doing its part to build the body up in love. This, in our, our family, we always require dinner. You come into dinner. 
No electronics, no TV, no, tel no telephones. We're going to eat dinner together as a family every night. I saw a recent university survey that said that's one of the great indicators of a child's well-being, they eat dinner with their family. Let me tell you why they were there. Because I, I demanded it, and they're going to sit there in front of me. That's not why I wanted it. Because we have a riot at the table of our family. We laugh at each other. We encourage each other. We, we sing. With, we have the best time at the table with our family. Table is where family's built. Table's where the family's built. And he said, when the church comes together, what does that, those two verses say they should be doing? You come to church thinking about considering what? What can I say to them? Who can I encourage? How can I help them today? And you just hug them. And, you know, the COVID's got things a little backed off now. But you encourage each other. You greet one another. I remember, uh, I'm going to give you one of the other one another's. I wasn't going to throw this in. Some years ago, we were still in the little tiny chapel starting. And a man came to church one night. I, of course, I can see everybody. Couldn't see but 300 in there. And he was visiting. His first night he visited. And I was standing down there after service. And he walked into a big old honker, about six and a half foot tall. Great big fella, had a red beard. And he walked by, stuck my hand out. He just walked right by my hand and hugged me and kissed me right on the face. Never seen him in my life. You know where I'm from, men don't kiss. And uh, just kissed me. And he could tell I was a little unnerved by it. I tried to, hey, good to have you with us. <laughs> a little unnerved by him kissing me. And he, he looked at me and said, Pastor, he said, have you never read in the Bible where it says to greet one another with a holy kiss? I said, yeah, that, that wasn't real holy. That's slobbery. That's what that was right there. <laughs> and then he said to me, didn't you know the Bible says we're to greet one another with a holy kiss more than it says we're to be born again? I said, be behind me. But after everybody left, I went there and looked it up. Five times in the New Testament, it says greet one another with a holy kiss. Now don't start kissing and mess. I, I, don't, I don't think you have to do the lip thing. It simply means greet one another and encourage one another. Why does it say one another? Why don't the preacher stand up and greet everybody? That's not family that God composed the body, that every member would do its part to build the family up. And I want, I want you need to come to church for two reasons. Number one, because you need to be encouraged by people. Number two, somebody needs to be encouraged by you. When you hear that, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. That's exactly what it means. It's not because God's mad because you didn't come to church. Because you went to the races. You're going to hell. Went to the races, you're going to hell. That's not right. He wants you to come to church because you can be helped. So you can be encouraged and so you can give that to somebody. Amen. If I could get my church to do one thing, it would be to get them to turn around and look at each other and encourage each other. This would be the one I'd want above everything else is talk to each other and speak to each other. All right, let me, um, matter of fact, how many of you ever heard the, let me see if I can remember them. Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. Cousins of yours. You don't ever heard, those are three names in the Bible. Nobody ever reads this verse. This is 1 Corinthians 16, 17, and 18. I thank God that Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus have come to see me, for they refreshed my spirit. Refreshed my spirit is biblical language for they encouraged me and built me up. Paul was going through a hard time, and these three men heard about it, so they came to see him, and they spent time with him and encouraged him. Listen to me. Why didn't God build him up? God did build him up. He came through those people. And he encouraged him. And, he built, and often the Bible talks about you refreshed my spirit. And you built me up like that. <clears throat> That's why the Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 4.18 says this. <clears throat> Therefore, comfort one another. Well, comfort's real close to encouragement. But comfort's when you're hurting. Well, I thought 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says God's the comforter. You're the comforter he uses. And we comfort each. You know, when somebody goes on, we comfort one another. Number seven. The Bible says we're to care for one another. We won't look at it because we've already looked at it. First Corinthians chapter 12 says he places the members in the body so they can care for one another. Do you know most people go to church they don't even know each other's names? How are you going to care for each other if you don't know each other's names? And in the book of Acts, let me tell you that they knew each other so well, if somebody had a need, they would sell their stuff and go buy something for them. They cared for one. I saw a great example recently. A friend of mine had been sick and... Uh, you know, he'd, he'd been sick a long time, a lot of problems, and he was very sick. And another fellow in his church, he was a deacon, but he was just a blue-collar, working-class man. And he came to see him, and he was in his 70s, and he, and he just came to encourage me. And he said, he this fellow that was sick told me, he said, probably, everybody left, he told me, he said, now this between me and you, he said, he said, me and my wife have saved up several thousand dollars, and I know you're probably going through a hard time, and said, I want you to know it's yours if you need it. They just went to church together, just friends, weren't even related. 
And he said, of course, he, what he didn't know was that this fellow was fairly well-to-do and didn't need the money, but it blessed his heart. He said, you know what that is? That's church. That's family, that the members would have the same care for one another. You see, that's so far from the American model we've got now. Uh, I'm going to run out of time. Got to hurry. We'll, we'll talk about this more later. We got to care for one another. Number eight, you know what James 5, 16 says this. Brethren, pray for one another. Pray for one another so you can be healed. Because my heavenly father wouldn't ask you to pray for me if something good wasn't going to come out of it. It's not an exercise in spirituality. Pray for each other. There's something dear about people praying for each other uh, within the church. And then let me mention one more. And I think this is one we've gotten away from. He told us to enjoy one another. Yeah, yeah. Need to enjoy one another. You know, one of the reasons I have it, one of the things about my, I love my family. We have the best time together. My joy in life is when my family's together around the table. And it's not so I can lecture them. They wouldn't stay. It's not so I can show them how smart I am. They wouldn't stay for that either. We enjoy each other at that table. And we laugh. We have the best time. What's it called in the Bible when we enjoy one another? Fellowship. It's called fellowship. We won't look at it. But 1 Corinthians chapter, excuse me, 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, four times he talks about us fellowship. He said, these things are written that you might have fellowship with us. Not God, me and you. The family is where we enjoy one another. And then verse 7 says this, and this is the standard. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we're going to enjoy one another. I've had people say, well, Brother Brian, I'm right with God. I hadn't spoken to him in a year, but I'm right with God. He's a deacon. I'm a deacon, but I ain't spoken to him in a year. You're full of crap. You're lost as a ball. You're in sin. I said, no, no, I'm right with God. No, you're not. I don't mean to be serious about this. No, you're not. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. We're going to get along with each other. It's like my kids said, Daddy, I love you, but I hate your son's guts. And I ain't talking to him no more. I said, we're going to have us a family meeting right now. Get in here. We're going to talk this over because our joy is to see the children walk in truth, but to enjoy one another. I want you to listen to Philippians chapter one, verses three through five. I thank my God every time I think about you. He's talking about his church. Every time I think about you, remembering you in my, in my prayers daily for the fellowship we have with each other in Christ Jesus. He said, I'm just, every time I think about you, I get excited how much I enjoy being around you. That ought to be church right there. It shouldn't be march in, hear the music, listen to him. Let's get out of here as quick as we can. Now, I want to show you, look with me, one more scripture. Turn with me to, and this will be the last one. Sure enough, maybe. Turn with me to Acts chapter two. There was, this is the, I don't know where we got church from today. I don't know where it came from. But the Bible is where we should get church from. Well, Acts is where the church is. It's where the, he said, I'm going to start, uh, the spirit of God's going to come. He's going to bring people together. This is church. The book of Acts is where we see what church is supposed to be. And I want you to look at church in the Bible. This is the clearest picture of church in the Bible. And you tell me if this is what church is in the nation today. I'm not knocking the church. I'm just saying we have to step it up. Acts chapter 2. We have to step it up in this place. Acts chapter 2. This is where the church starts and this is what it looks like in the best days. And he said this verse 4. Let's put in verse 42. All right, this is right after the church started. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. All right. They got the, the apostles taught the Bible, taught them how to live. Everybody said, you know, that's good to have that. And what fellowship and breaking, what does breaking of bread mean? They ate together. They enjoyed each other. They ate together and prayers. They prayed together. This is what they did. All right. Verse 43, then fear, wonder came on every soul. Uh, great wonders and signs were done. All who believed were together. See, they got to be together. There's no such thing as a virtual church unless you just have to have one had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, divided them among all as anyone had need, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, getting along with all the people. And then the Lord added to that crowd, those who'd be saved. What do you see? Right? That's church. What do you see there? I see a bunch of people who are committed to live the way God wants them to live. Continuing the apostles' teaching. I see people who are worshiping God, praising God, but what else do you see? They ate together. They broke bread daily. Now listen, you say, well, that's a little time. No, there was 3,000 added in one day. It's a big church. But you notice how they did it. In the temple and where? Small groups. They, they met in each other's houses. So they had that big group. You know, they met in the temple where they'd have the teaching. But then they met from house to house. They met in their homes. And what did they do there? They ate together and they prayed with each other together. 
and they enjoyed one another and there was gladness and they loved each other like a family. This is the model for church right here. This is what church ought to be. This is the great picture of church of the family of God. And, and if you can follow through the book of Acts, it stayed that way all the way through. And uh, dear ones, this is the pattern. I'm going to say this before I quit, just real quick. The heart, the, God created the human heart to desire family. The human heart's got two great desires. One is for God, the spirit of God, not church, but God. And the other is for family. People in their hearts want to be part of a family. Why do kids join gangs? They're looking for a family. People looking for a family. Let me give you a great picture of this. Now, I'm not talking about perverted, messed up family. I'm talking about good family. People want to be in a family. I saw a great picture of this some years ago in the church I was in before this one. We're in High Point, and we had a ministry we were connected to there, much like Living Free. It was a drug rehab center. It was called His Laboring Few. And a guy named Steve Irvin, he was president of the Outlaws Motorcycle Gang, got saved and started a biker ministry, which morphed into a, a rehab ministry with, with drug addicts. They had both boys and girls. Steve told me, I said, we made a great mistake putting both boys and girls on the same property. I said, well, you could ask me. I'd have told you that to start with. But we're learning as we grow. And uh, had a great ministry there. A lot of people, lives redeemed. I went out there to visit him one day because they were tied to our church and a lot of, you know, about all of his workers came from my church. I went out there to visit one day and I walked up, it's in High Point, and I heard a very distraught person. And I turned the corner around the building where the office was and there's a little retaining wall there and a girl was sitting on that retaining wall, a woman, young woman, and a lady from my church who was the office manager. Her name was Janet. I'd known her for years. And this girl was so upset. She was screaming and crying. And I, I just naturally, I saw it and I thought, well, Janice had to tell her somebody died. That's what it looked like to me. Like she'd just been told somebody died and she was so upset. And so I just skirted on around and didn't say anything. And I went in the office and Moses was sitting there. Not the one in the Bible, the one that worked there. <laughs> Moses was an 80-year-old wore out biker who looked like he'd been run over by a semi, but he really did love Jesus. Steve was in there. We talked a little bit. And in a little while, Janice came back in there and uh, she hugged me. And I, I said, well, what happened to the little girl out there? This young, young woman. Her twice. what happened to her? She said, well, I told her she's got to go home. She said, you know, she's been through the program. Her nine months are up and it's time for her to go back home. And she is so upset that she's got to leave here. And that's what she was hysterical about was that she had to leave. And I thought about it. Why? You know, that place has got rules out the wazoo. You can't even have your phone with you. You have to eat when they tell you to eat. Why is she upset about leaving? I mean, that girl was raised in a home that was hell on earth. And she was abused and molested and treated terrible. And because of the way she was raised, men had abused her. And, she, and the, I think the High Point police plucked her out of that mess and said, you can go here, you can go to jail. So she went to rehab, went to, the, to living free. I mean, not living free, his labor and few. And, but you know what? She got there and she found out, I'm safe here. These people care about me here. I'm treated like somebody here. When I make mistakes, they forgive me here and they don't punish me. They correct me, but they don't hurt me. And she said, I found what I'm looking for. And she found family there. And you know what? Every heart's looking for family. That's why people suffer so much when family isn't right. Guess what God's answer for the heart desire for family is? It's supposed to be in the church. So I saw him 68, 6 says, he sets the lonely in a family. That family's supposed to be the church. You know, our families are breaking down in our nation right now. That's where the church should step in. Now, <clears throat> I wish, I wish I could tell you, so here's how it works. I'm not sure. This, this just on my heart real heavy these days. I believe the Lord is dealing with me about this. And of course, the way that, uh, you know, you can't, in a church past about 80 people, you can't do family. You can do what we're doing. You can do the music and worship. You can do the teaching, but that's why I got to have small groups. Somebody got to get people in small groups. And that, that's why, uh, to be honest with you, that my heart longs for this because people long for this. And when people see family, they'll come to it. That's why coffee shops are famous right now. Why would somebody pay $7 for something you can get for 95 cents at the Flying J? It's not the coffee. It's the spirit of the place. It's the atmosphere that's in there. I'm sitting there one day in the food line parking lot and uh, watch a man go in a bar and uh, the Spirit of the Lord impressed me and said, why'd he go in that bar? I said, get something to drink. That's why people go in bars. I'm real smart. I said, went there to get something to drink. He said, no, he didn't. I said, he didn't. I said, that's what they do in bars. They get something to drink. He said, how much does beer cost in that bar? I said, well, I ain't been in a while, but I understand it's four or five dollars. And he said, 
And on the other side of the parking lot was the food line. He said, how much does beer cost in the food line? I said, well, you can get it for 75 cents, the food line. Now, you know, even a dumb redneck from the southern part of the county, he ain't gonna go in there and pay $4 if he get it for 75 cents over here. Does that make sense to y'all? He didn't go in there to get beer. He can get that in the food line much cheaper. What'd he go in there for? If the church would be the church, it wouldn't be a bar left. Because people would find in the church what they go to bars to look for. I'm not knocking bars. If you want to go, that's fine. I'm just saying the church in America was supposed to be the place where God sets the lonely in families. So we got some work to do. I want us to pray about it and say, Father, how do, we, how do we turn this place into the family of God where people come in here and find family? Now, we, people need to worship. We're going to teach them how to praise God and celebrate His goodness. And people need to continue steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. They need to hear the word. But you know what people really need? They need a family. They need to come to a place where they're encouraged and built up and loved and they can be forgiven. If they make mistakes, it's all right. And we're going to help them get there. Are you with me? Okay, the four of us were together. That's going to fly right there. I was fixing to pray. Can I throw in one more thing? Families laugh together. Families need to laugh together. I made up my mind. I grew up in a home where there was never laughter. And I decided, we had our kids. I said, mama was going to be the material one. She could make sure they got fed, taken care of, and looked after. I was going to be the free entertainment. I said, we're going to laugh in this house. And so I don't think it's that important to laugh. Then why does the Bible say a merry heart doeth good like a medicine? You'd be surprised people could get healed if they could laugh once in a while. And besides, it'll get your blood pressure back down where it's supposed to be after I run it up real high for cussing in church. <laughs> oh, Jesus, I want to praise you and thank you. The cross was not just where you brought us back to you. The cross had two beams on it, a vertical beam and a horizontal beam. And I thank you that the cross is where we come back to you. I, you can be my father. You can be my best friend. I can talk to you. I can hear your voice. You can help me. You can lead my life. I can enjoy you. We can be together again. But your word said the cross is also what joined me back to people, to the family of God. Well, Father, we've, we've, maybe we've done a pretty good job of trying to get people back to you, but we really haven't done what we were supposed to and get people back to each other in the family of God. Right, I, pray, I pray for this house. I, Father, when I heard that preachers just leaving because they can't take it no more, that, that just aches my soul. Why would you walk off from your family? Well, this is not right. And when I see kids that are willing to suffer and get shot in the foot to get in a gang, why, why are they doing that when they could come get in our gang? When they'd be loved and cared for here. I long for what your word says. I saw a people of every tribe and tongue and people and nation praising God before the throne together. And I pray you build a family in this place, in this house. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't even know hardly how to do it at times. But I know this, the human heart is looking for a place where they're loved and cared for. I've heard many people tell me, I wish I'd had a family like that growing up, or I wish I'd, I could be in a family. Well, this is it right here. And I pray in Jesus' name for the people in our community that don't have family. I thank you that we can worship you. You're worthy of worship. I thank you that we can hear your word. It helps us know how to live. But more than that, I, I, I need to be encouraged by you, but I need to be encouraged by somebody. And I need to encourage somebody. And I pray you help us break the, the American model and get back to the New Testament model of a family where people care for each other, serve each other, love each other, honor each other, forgive each other, don't judge each other, and bring us into what you call a church. I trust you for that. It's got to be good. I give you all the praise and glory for your kindness. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.